Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I am Jake Bennett. And welcome episode something or other of the North Meet South <laughs> web podcast. We're very professional. Very professional over here, everybody. Very, very professional. And uh, this is I the first time we've done and this. And then realized that I didn't even look at what episode of the podcast that we are on. I think we're so. on 145, but I think the last time, actually, I think we're on 151. Officially, like 151, which I know sounds weird. But mm. I think that the last time we had our podcast, we recorded our Christmas prod, like our, our Christmas extravaganza one. And realized that we have not versioned those episodes. So like officially, if we're talking about the number of episodes we have, this is officially version 151. However, in our numeric numbering, I believe this is probably number 149. 149? Okay. Okay. So yeah, I just we'll, call it, we'll call it 149. Yeah, we'll call it 149. That's fine. How are things are going, doing? my friend? Hey, I think things what are okay. have I been doing? I'll what tell you what been I've doing? been doing. You always ask if what I do. I never ask what you're doing. So you tell me what you're doing. I will tell you what I've been doing. I just got the same keyboard that you got. You inspired me. Mm-hmm. Keychron K11 Pro with the little analog knob and the, the Alice keyboard layout. And I'm loving it. It's really, really sweet. How it's do you good. like yours? Yeah, it's good. I, uh, I like has, the sound. Has it been I a like learning curve at all? No, I think it took me probably about 20 minutes to get used to it. I think the, the main thing was that on the split, it's got two B keys. Yeah. And so that yeah. was a bit like it's fine. I don't think it's actually caused any problems using it but it was just odd to look down and realize that there were two b keys there i think the other thing is because it's got the split space bar mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. was i was hitting the function keys so i just yeah. had my hands a little too far over so this just took you know 20 minutes to to get it in the right spot and and it's been okay since so yeah pretty, pretty I, happy um, with that one. and it's like a t- typing test thing like within yeah probably 20 minutes i'm with you like within 20 yeah. minutes i was like uh, 85 which is pretty decent. It's probably it's typically where I'm around. However, that was without taking into account all the other things that I do on my keyboard every day um, that I was not thinking about or accounting for. And when I heard mm-hmm. you say you mapped escape to tilde, I was like, why? Like, who uses tilde? Um, me, all the time, actually. Yeah, all the time. Back ticks and tilde, you use it every day, multiple times throughout yeah. the day. And so Especially I did not realize GitHub this. Or Slack or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. And so I did not realize this until I had been using it for a bit. And so I've got some funky, fancy remappings that I would want to talk about too. So, but I want to talk about that B key real quick. So do you end up using um, different fingers for B depending on which word you're typing? Yeah, I think so. You do? Yeah, you do? I'm okay. not conscious of it, but yeah, I definitely think that sometimes I'll use the left thumb and sometimes it's the right thumb. So maybe for the, maybe that's why it's there intentionally. For the, for the B, for the letter B you're saying? Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I only ever use my left pointer finger for B. That's that's all I, that's the only one I use. Yeah, I know. Hmm. That's okay. that's a it's a I think I'm not sure if that's like the official way to do it or whatever. That's how I taught that's how I was yeah, taught in school to do it. And so it stuck. Uh, but as a result, what yeah, actually ends sense. up being cool for me is that other B on the right-hand side, I can use that as an extra key. So I've used that as my tilde and escape. Or my tilde and huh. my uh, backticks. Yeah. I think so that just mapped that down there. More, yeah, that, I think that would take more to to get used to having the tilde there it does. Than, than the pinky. Yeah. It definitely does. Yep. Yeah, for sure. It's it's like that me- remapping is a little bit weird. And for those of you who are, you know, you obviously can't see the keyboard, but along your keyboard, typically on the left-hand side, you have like on the bottom, 
left, you have either control or function, and then above that shift, and then caps lock, and then tab, and then tilde back ticks, and then escape. So on this keyboard, this is a 65% keyboard, and it does not have a function keys row, which means they have to move the escape down to the same row that the number keys are on, which means your mm -hmm. tilde back ticks is your escape. And so um, because you don't have that, you have to sort of come up with a way to do that. Like what, what can you do to replace that? So a couple interesting ways that I've heard it done, and Michael, you do it this way, is I believe you remapped your escape to your tilde back ticks. And then what mm -hmm. you did is you mapped your caps lock key to escape. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, caps, caps to escape, I think, is a, is a vimism. It's because you're always going out yeah, of always. insert or whatever. So you're always, you know, you're hitting escape quite All often. the time, right. And so the, mm -hmm. the two common ways of doing that in Vim to, to keep your fingers on the home row is either to remap caps to escape or mm -hmm. to map JJ to escape. Ah. But you would only do JJ to escape mm. in Vim as like a normal mode binding. Right. I wonder if you can do that as a, I don't know this. So we'll talk about the firmware and how, kind of how it does its updates and stuff in a minute here. But it's, uh, th that would be interesting if you could do sort of like a key chord. I don't know if that's what you'd call it, but like a key chord yeah. or a tip tap. They call it tap dance. I think it's a, sort of like what, um, what some of that, well, there was a certain firmware out there. They have this like idea of tap dance, which is basically mm -hmm. a set of keys in combination represents a different type of key. Right. Um, and so if you type JJ, I wonder if it could do escape. That would actually be mm. pretty awesome. If that was the mm. case, I would definitely remap escape to tilde back ticks and do JJ for escape. I'll have yeah. to check that out. David Hemphill has been a cool resource on this one because he's been all in this world for, for a long time. Yeah, you've um, seen he's trying to get rid of all of those keyboards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the other thing that I did that was actually the whole reason I got this, if you are like me and you use copy and paste using command C, command V, which if you're a Vim user, you don't. But if you are not a Vim user, then you do. Um, or I would press command space all the time to launch Alfred or Raycast or whatever it is that's your little app launcher thing. Mm -hmm. Or command tilde or command tab to like kind of switch between applications. I don't know. I ended up using command a lot. But mm -hmm. my, my finger for using command was my thumb on my left hand. And if you do that motion, your thumb has to wrap under the rest of your hand in order to get there. Yeah. yeah. And so that was causing me a lot of pain in my thumb right there, wrapping mm -hmm. it underneath all the time, constantly. And so what I wanted to do is to put that Alice keyboard layout, uh, what you get is that split key, you get that split space there. And so instead of having command to be underneath my thumb, what I did is I mapped the left function key, which is right where my thumb sits anyway, to command. And so that's mm -hmm. my command key now. So now command C, command V is very comfortable. It's a very natural position for my hand, but I'm having to figure out some of the other things. Like if I have to do like a command control shift, that is, I have to, it's just a little bit, it's a wider spread, but that's okay. I don't mind the wider spread. It's just, I gotta get used to it. My hands are quite large anyway. So yeah. it's not like a, it's not a stretch for me. It's just a, an adjustment of trying to figure out, you know, I've got to map my brain back over to that. So I've only been using uh, this keyboard when I'm at work. If I'm using my laptop, I don't. But I've only been using this keyboard uh, for a couple of days. But it's already feeling really good, and mm -hmm. um, it's really smooth. I don't remember what kind of what kind of uh, switches did you say you got? They're the I think they're the Gatoron Browns. Browns. So okay. they're like they're clunk, funky, 
thonky, I think is the word. They they clunk, um, mm-hmm. but they're a soft sound. So I think those are the ones like, I got too. Yeah, yeah. The the blues and the reds are a lot more clicky. Um, yeah, I think the blues are the clicky ones. Red are tactile, and these are kind of more of a of a thonk. I don't know what they're. But they're so soft. They feel. Like, I feel like they activate really easily. Yeah. And uh, the you don't have to push super far to get them to to go. And um, it's been really great. It's been really enjoyable. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, just kind of playing around with that. And I actually mm-hmm. did have another keyboard before this one, which I don't remember what one it was. Um, it's a sign you've had too many keyboards. <laughs> no, I literally this is the only other keyboard I ever had, but it was a sixty percent. And the big okay. problem for me with that one was there no was arrow no keys. arrow keys. And that's really, that was a big pain for me. And so I ended up mm-hmm. abandoning it pretty quickly. I just couldn't do it. Um, and so this one's a 65, so it's been really nice. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. And um, so then the the firmware, is a fir- I guess the firmware is, is kind of what I'm talking about. Like that Via, um, mm-hmm. was that a bit of a weird thing for you? So like you customize it through Via. Have you ever done that before? Yeah, I mean it's a web thing that that I've done, which is so really interesting. Yeah, yeah like so, so it's not an application con- you install; it's a no. it's a web application. Yeah, it's some control protocol that's that's built into the browsers now that you know you authorize the keyboard basically, so it can't just get in there and and start recording your keystrokes, and then you you make the changes and it just writes them back to the keyboard, and that way you can take that keyboard. So the 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 thing with doing Using something like Carabiner, 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 Carabiner elements, <laughs> or one of those other tools, is that you need to set it up on each device. Yeah. Where these these things like Via and QMK, they write the firmware back to the keyboard, so that you can mm-hmm. pick that keyboard up and take it to any computer and know that your you know your mappings will always be there. Um, I find that was not the case when I used it via Bluetooth, though. Right, that is correct. Um, mm-hmm. Bluetooth, it doesn't, I guess, support that functionality, but via cable, which is how I've got it set up because it's on my desk Same. most of the time, then, yeah. then it's no problem. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting because it used to be, I feel like you had to go into GitHub and you'd have to download and install some sort of like, you know, it'd be like Rust or something stupid like that. And then you'd have to map your changes and then you'd have to flash them to your board and all that stuff. And it was just a mess, you know, and it was mm-hmm. like, you'd be versions behind and it's like, I don't know, your board wasn't supported. I don't know. It was just sort of annoying. And so with this, it's really powerful. Literally any web browser that you're on, you can hook it up to. And yeah, like Michael said, it just authorizes the device. So basically the browser has a USB API um, and then it can it can use that web app to write that firmware, which is incredible. And so anyway, there's lots of help on GitHub as well. Or sorry, not GitHub, Reddit. There's a lot of people who are really into this world. And um, you know, some of the things that you're talking about with QMK, some of the functionality that you have from there is available over in in Via. Um, and so just, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm getting into it, not super a ton, um, but uh, a little bit, you know, just kind of figuring out some of these, some of these little things. For me, mostly, mm-hmm. the key mappings, like the remappings, has been enough for me. But they do have like you can record macros and things like that as well. So you can get onto like you know, you press your function key, which basically changes your entire keyboard to another layer. And every mm-hmm. key can be mapped to something different than it normally would be. So you can say like function and then press G, and you can have function G perform a set of of. Mm-hmm. whatever you could you could have it be a snippet if you wanted to you yeah, know delay is a cool. um 
Yeah, so there's that's really, really interesting. And the thing is like six layers or maybe even more than that. Um that you can uh, that you can map to, and so you can use the function key to get to one of the layers, or you can use, you know, you can map a different key to get you to a different layer for, layer if you wanted to. So, um, yeah, just really really cool stuff. So I've been really enjoying that and just kind of learning about it. So yeah, that's that's kind of been the journey I've been on. I also got one of those cables that uh, you got like that professional sort of, you know, it's like that curly cable yeah, yeah. deal. I don't even know what yeah. that is. What's the, what's the deal with those cables where they hook up all weird and like screw in and crap? What's that about? Is that just an aesthetic? I yeah, I think it's an aesthetic thing. It's like harkens back to the, the old days of PS2. It's like steampunk. Connections, I suppose. Yeah. Because it's like USB-C that goes into this thing, which then comes out as USB-C on the other end. So I right. don't think it needs to be there. You could conceivably just plug in a regular USB-C cable and it would work fine. But it's just the aesthetic thing. Yeah, so it's like if you if you take your keyboard with you places or something, instead of having to unplug and replug in all the way from the back of that machine or whatever, you can just sort of you got the pigtail, whatever you can unscrew yeah. that, pop that out, take that with you, and then the next place you get, you plug in and screw it in, sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is kind of cool. Uh, I got a I got an orange cable, and when I got it, my kids and my wife were like, "Why'd you get a pink cable? Like, it's not pink, it's orange." They're like that's pink. I'm like, no, it's orange. They're like, it's definitely at least coral. It's not orange. I'm like, oh, great. This is my you son said it was the salmon. One, but it's they salmon. The wrong one. Oh, it's salmon. Well, now we're yeah, I don't know. Pink. It's orange and white. But if you look at it, mm. it does look like from a distance, it looks salmon or like pink. So I'm like, oh, whatever. I got a pink cable now. So it's fine. <laughs> my dad would be appalled. Growing up, he never would wear pink. And he thought it was just like, I don't know. It was so funny. People would get him pink on purpose because they know he didn't like it. It's <laughs> so funny. So now I have a pink cable. He'll be, a, you know, he'll, he'll not talk to me again next time he sees I'm using a pink cable. I don't know. Ridiculous. So yeah, like the, anyway, yeah, that's black, been the black rainbow. I think it was yeah. Eli. Oh, is that out, one you so got? Good. Yeah, yeah, black rainbow one. Oh, that's cool. I did see that one actually. Yeah, that one looked really interesting. So, um, but yeah, no, that's that's the journey I'm on right now, and it's been really nice. It's given me some relief um, as far as like my hands are concerned, which has been nice. And I think the Alice layout layout as well is really nice. You know, I've been using a Magic Keyboard, like the little Apple Mini Magic mm-hmm. Keyboard for forever. I mean, ever since I've been using a Mac, pretty much. I've been using that little thing. And so with that, yeah. your hands really are just so close together. And like I said, I, I have like, you know, I'm a tall guy. My hands are like large. And so working on that little keyboard, I think for as long as I have has just sort of, you know, not yeah. been great for my hands. So yeah. having the ability to spread them out a little bit more has been has been nice. I will say, however, yeah. like I, I transport my keyboard all over the place because I have an office at like both of our locations. And then I work from home sometimes too or whatever. And so I have to transport that keyboard on a regular basis. And I feel like such a nerd now because the case that this thing comes in to transport it is almost as big as my laptop bag. <laughs> it's just <laughs> huge. And like the end of the day, I'm like, open this thing, unzip it and like, you know, pack it in there and like carry it out to my car, like a briefcase. It's ridiculous. I feel like the biggest nerd in the world, like walking into the house, like my backpack and my briefcase keyboard is just mm-hmm. like, okay, I've, I've gotten there. I'm that guy now. You're the guy so, that carries the yeah, I'm that guy. Yeah. Yep. It's, yep. A, it's certainly like I I didn't get it for the the ergonomics perspective. I just got it because mm-hmm. like it looked cool kind of and fun. I thought I'd I'd, yeah. I'd give it a give it a go. Um I think if if you do have like ergonomic issues or you've got RSI or whatever in, in the wrist or, or sore hands or whatever else, I think it's a good stepping stone 
Yeah. Just to kind of spread the keys out a little bit to get your elbows a bit further apart, to get your hands a bit further apart without going into like an Ergodox or a Moonlander or any of those like extreme... A kinesis or whatever, yeah. Or a kinesis, yeah. So it's definitely... If if it's something that, that plagues you, um, I, this keyboard was, I say only, so, um, you know, obviously only is subjective, but it was like 94 US dollars, so it wasn't the, the most expensive keyboard I've bought. Um, it's certainly not the cheapest keyboard out there, but I'm hoping right. that it kind of staves off. Like, I, I think I've talked about, like, I had these elbow problems for a few months, and it's I've I've been having it treated, but I wonder if, like the keyboard was contributing to it not healing. Sure. And yeah. like, I, I don't want to say since I got this keyboard, but I certainly haven't noticed any issues. Like the elbows have basically gone back to normal now. So now I can ease back into lifting weights again. So we'll see how we go. Nice. There you go. Um, I would say for me, like some of it did have, have to do with ergonomics and stuff, but like those kinesis, those other ones too. The other thing is like, again, those aren't transportable. You can't really transport those. You yeah. know what I mean? You're not going to, you're not going to take that they're from place large, to place. You're just, heavy. Yeah, yeah, you're just not going to do that. And so... Um, and they're like way more expensive as well. So you need yeah, to commit to that. Yeah, they're really expensive and they're super ugly, <laughs> which I know sounds so stupid, but that is a thing for me. Like I want my equipment to look nice. Like I like sitting at a desk where I'm like, oh, I like how this looks. Like I'm going to sit mm-hmm. in this workspace for eight hours a day, every day. And I like to look at my desk and be like, oh, that looks nice. And so... Um, it's a little thing, but the aesthetics of this keyboard is actually pretty good too. And it's actually a low profile, um, keycap as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, you know, not these massive clunky, chunky keycaps either. It still looks really slim and, uh, it has that like cool look where it's like you have like an aluminum frame and then the switches sit up off the keyboard and then you have these low profile caps. And so it has a little gap between them and it looks, it looks, it looks really cool. And yeah. so, yeah, if, if you're curious what, it's look like, what it looks like, yeah, Keychron K11 Pro. And it's got the analog knob, which is really cool. It's just, it's a totally dumb thing, but it actually is really useful. I use it for the volume and then for yeah. the brightness as well. You can ch- turn mm-hmm. the brightness if you get into that function layer and then turn that key, turn that little thing, it, it rolls the brightness. You can do it to like scan through, you know, songs or scroll down a page. You could do all sorts of cool stuff with it. So it's, uh, it's really fun. Um, I think yeah, you could also do it like if you're in a particular like, I know that you can use it to like zoom in and out as well, which I think as a like video editor sort of deal, if you've ever been into like Mm -hmm. a video and you need to like expand or collapse the timeline a little bit, I know some people will use that analog knob to do that, which is kind of cool too. Um, So all sorts of fun little things you can do with it. So it's more like a little hobby thing for me, even more than it is a um, a necessity, but it's been, Mm -hmm. it's been good, especially for the the pain in my hands. It's definitely helped. So it's been fun. Yep. Yep. Um, work-wise though, um, yeah, we've been making a lot of progress and here's, here's what I will say. <sighs> How do I want to say this? I have not talked about this really much because I am definitely a huge Nova fan. Like I love mm-hmm. Nova. We use it in oh. every app, right? David, you're my man. I love Nova. I will never not use Nova. But there are some things that I can't use it for that I use filament for. And so I've not said anything about filament because I don't want to like feel make it feel like I'm abandoning Nova because I'm definitely not. But I use a lot of filament stuff in one particular app that we have, and it's been really helpful. Um, so we made the switch from view to live wire 
um, fully probably a month ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. And previous to that, we've been using LiveWire, but we still had some view components sticking around us. We finally just said, okay, for this, for this particular section, we're going to just abandon view completely. Just get it out of here. And so we've been using filament LiveWire, uh, pretty, um, consistently. And I think what it is for me is it's just, it provides some things that I don't want to have to do on my own or have to maintain on my own. Like I get a consistent slide over modal, um, these actions that submit forms and handle validation for me and handle submitting to the back end and closing the modal after it's done and, and showing loading spinners and all that, all that stuff just comes out of the box, yeah. which has been really nice. And all of the form stuff, uh, and it feels Nova esque. I, I would, I think it would be a mistake to say that they didn't borrow some of that functionality and that API from Nova. I think that's definitely the case. I think David and Taylor sort of, uh, I don't know if they invented it, but they definitely perfected it. Like came up with a really good API for developers to use to generate these forms with this fluent mm -hmm. interface and all that stuff. And Filament definitely borrowed that. So it feels familiar. It feels like home. Um, and so it's been really pleasant to work with and um we've been able to be really productive on it because i don't have to reinvent the wheel every time there's documentation so it's not like i'm inventing my own thing if my guys have a question they just go read the docs docs on filament right which is good and it's an yeah. active development as well which is helpful so like there's new things coming out on a regular basis some of the challenges that we've faced with like okay like csv imports or csv exports we were just talking about this on laravel news last week some of the things they've yeah. come out with the recently navigation stuff yeah so it's just it's interesting. It's a world that we're we're definitely dipping our toes into and, and getting into now. I don't know that I'm the typical user. Like we're not using it for admin panels, is what I guess is what I'm saying. Like admin panels, yeah. I'm still I'm still fully in Nova world. But for front end components, that's not really where Nova shines, right? Nova doesn't really do that. Right. And so yeah. filament sort of the filament admin components that they've built do ship to the front end. And you talked about this little on Laravel News last time we were talking as well. You said that's literally that exact same thing. And so that's, that's the way in which we're using it. And it's been, it's been good. I'm, I'm liking it. So. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly an interesting thing. I think if you're seeing filament as like just a free version of Nova and that's all you're going to use it for, then, you know, obviously make the, the financial decision there. Are you going to pay the licensing and the active development, like knowing that it's going to keep going? Um, if you know that you need to put, some of that stuff into the hands of your application users, not just as an admin panel, then yeah, as you say, um, filament certainly makes sense. I'd like to see some more content for it. Like I know that there's talk about it and we, you know, we had a couple of articles on Laravel News last yeah. week and, but there's not, not that I've noticed people doing, going out there and talking about it, showing it off, showing the kinds of things that they're doing with it where it's being used um conference talks you know that kind of stuff yeah. would be cool to yeah. see like i think it's it's certainly got it certainly looks like it's got a big utilization footprint in the laravel ecosystem it would be cool to see like the kinds of things people are doing with it because i think it's mature enough it's been around for a while it's version three now yeah like 3.2 so yeah so it's mature it's stable you know as you say it's actively developed and it's it's a pleasure. Like if you don't have, if you're in a position where you don't have a team that's designing your application and you, mm -hmm. you just want to like go with some boilerplate type stuff that you can style as you need, but that largely it's available, then it's certainly worth a look, I think. And, and yeah. it'd be cool. Hopefully this year, you know, we'll see some more content about it. 
Yeah, the nice thing too is that it's, you know, it's using tall stacks, so it's using Tailwind as well. So if I want to break out of their conventions, most of their things allow me to do so, right? I, I can use mm -hmm. Tailwind styles to just change a component that they have to however I want it to be. Um, also, I just like using Liveware in general too. So like not everything on the page that we have is filament. There are plenty of just plain Livewire components. But if, for example, I want one of my Livewire components to contain a modal, well, all I do is just throw a filament modal in there and I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's just done. It's a pre-built component that I don't have to think about, worry about, build myself, maintain, none of that stuff. Um, and so it's just handy, right? It's just kind of sprinkling here and there. Um, but I think the thing, you know, definitely filament is great for, what I will say filament is great for is like those slide overs and those forms. Great. Totally fine. Um, if there's something outside of that that I want to do, I'm not using filament. I'm using live wire. Like if there's something custom, it's always just live wire. You could try and like mm -hmm. shoehorn filament into some of that stuff, but it's, it's, it could be painful. Yeah. Um, again, using some of the I think filament knowing components, the boundaries like, is important. Yeah. 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 Good point. Yeah. And so, um, there's also some goofy things we had to do like, like, um, you know, if, if I have an action, a live wire, sorry, a filament action that I'm rendering, um, every time I display that on the page, I'm, I'm rendering a ton, a ton of stuff, right? It's the whole modal, it's the whole slide over, it's the whole thing. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't really want to do that 10 times on this page. So I had to figure out a way to open up one of those slide overs or those modals from another place on the page. And that was a whole funky mess. We figured it out. It works now. But I had to yeah. hijack and override some things. And we've got our own convention now for how we do that. So it's not like there hasn't been bumps along the way. But after mm -hmm. we figured some of that out, then it's it's working fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, nothing's perfect. It's it's working well enough for us though. And we're actually still on filament two. Um, or no, I take it back. I'm sorry. We're on the filament three beta. But we have not yet right. gotten to the filament three uh, release. So yeah. So yeah, yeah cool. that's where we're at. Yeah, that's kind of what we're working uh, on right now. I hear about this stuff and I don't really get much opportunity to play with it because we're we've gone off we've gone off the, the JavaScript deep end and I don't have really a, a lot to do with our front end at the moment, but it's all mm -hmm. React based. We're not using inertia, like they're all federated modules that they that like we build them and we can publish them and they just end up in other like their the, the front-end components that are like self-contained in that they talk to specific api endpoints and they do all the interactivity but we can like pick up the components that we've built publish them and then they go into another system like another crm and they just appear in that other crm and hmm. they can be styled if they need to be for that crm but like we control all the code so if we need to make changes we can just make the changes kind of thing so it's um it's an interesting approach, but it's all React, and I just don't want to learn it. Jump so, into that world, and yeah. fortunately, right. I, I don't. I don't yeah. have to. Like, there's. I think it was there was a, a blog post that they did the rounds last week or the week week before that. It was talking about you know some senior person within the React community that has just like they're they're not happy with React the way like it's harder to learn React now than it, than like it's ever been because there's yeah. just so much stuff and there's not. Um, like, don't get me wrong, it's powerful and it's used by a lot of stuff and it enables a lot of For stuff, sure. but it's just, yeah. it's ugly to look at, which I know <laughs> is a totally subjective measure, but 
it just it just adds layers of complexity. Like it's blown out our build time now as well for deploys and things like that. We just got all of the CI stuff down, but now we've got this build step in there to to build out all of the React stuff and do all the um you know the build step or the, the npm installs and the build step and like compiling all the types and building out all of the objects and all that. and like it just adds literal minutes to the to the build build step again so i don't know i have probably unfounded complaints but i'm just glad that i get to continue doing the stuff that i'm doing on the back end and making the back end great or as great as it can be given the state of the the world that it lives in yeah absolutely i um i don't have like hardly any experience in react i mean like very very little and so my experience in that world is just about none um but um I'm with you. Like I, I'm not, I, I feel like I'm such an old man. It's like, I don't really care to learn it if I don't have to, if I have yeah. to learn it, I would, I yeah. really would. And I'm sure it would be fine, but it's just not something like I'm being forced to do. And I'm kind of past the point of learning some of those things just for fun. I know there's a lot of mm -hmm. other things that I can learn that I would be able to use in the day to day. And yeah. so react just isn't on that list, but I'm, I mean, it sounds interesting. Like the things that you're talking about, these federated modules and, and stuff like that. And maybe, maybe it is the right choice um well, it's certainly the right choice for us yeah because yeah. of what we need to do if it was yep. not for the fact that we needed to publish our stuff into third-party crms it would be live wire all the way baby like yeah <laughs> there is yep. nothing so fancy in any of our app that we need you know all of the the power and the weight that react provides mm -hmm. you know Nothing that we couldn't just sprinkle some Alpine in and be done with it or just use Livewire to handle that kind of stuff. But because of what we need to do and how we need to do it, like it just made sense. And especially because the CRM that we're publishing into is is React-based as well, it just made sense to fit in with their workflows. But yeah. Yep, that sounds, that sounds about right. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that we have that we've been working on or challenges that I've run into. Um, there was something specific I was going to ask you about. Give me just a second to think about it. Mm. While you're thinking, we, we finally did our snowflakes. We merged that. In. Oh, I, I know what it was. Sorry, last... go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, we... I, think, I think we did talk about that last time that all the, all the snowflake stuff is merged and we have mm -hmm. kind of been waiting for the last week or so to or like the other team responsible for the the CRM to be ready to to handle all of the updates. I will say that it is a very slow process updating hundreds of thousands of records across dozens of tables to use Snowflake. Like how slow are we talking? Like I'm do, did a migration earlier today that was like 15,000 records that took Probably about 30 minutes. And that was just one table. Oh, wow. Really? 15,000? It took 30 minutes? Jeez. Because we, we have to do... We that have to go slow. record by record, right? So we're using yeah. MySQL cursors and things like that. But we have to select the record, get the current ID, generate a new Snowflake, update the ID, write that to a file. To be like, this is like the audit trail that we went from this ID to this ID. 
we have to do this for every single table. Any table right. that has got foreign key Relational stuff, constraints yeah. and relations, like it has to then go and cascade all those updates to yep. all of those yep. other places. So, you know, that adds some and overhead that's a lot. as well. Totally, totally. And so, yeah, it adds up. We, we thought, you know, we basically scheduled out we would migrate one tenant to Snowflakes per day for the next week, essentially. Because that's just is, how it Are you like, on pace? This is the hard part. You on pace with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, that's well, we good. Started, I mean, what's t- yeah, today is Wednesday. So yeah, we we yep. started late Monday. We did one one on Monday, one yesterday. So we're like we're tracking. It's just watching it every now and then. Yeah, there's a deploy that like nukes that <laughs> that release. So sure, and because we release so frequently, it's not a, it's not a problem if if a release happens. It's if three releases happens and we pop uh-huh. like the end release off and it tries to access code that is now being removed from the file system. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. I know what it was I was going to ask you about. You said that you guys are like in like, a, oh, hey, oh, we're back. <laughs> um, it was about like you said that you guys entered like a new like cycle. Like I, I think it started with a K. What did you guys call that? What do you call those? It was a KPI. So yeah, like, KPI. Uh, we, talked, we talked about like not that we're in a new cycle, but that we have started um, you know, 12 months ago we did OKRs and this year we're doing OKR. OKRs. Yeah. So what is an OKR? <laughs> So OKRs are objectives and key results. And they're just like broad strokes where the business sets usually three objectives that they want to achieve. Like in strategic the priorities. Strategic priorities, yep. And then you break that down into key results. Like these are the things we're going to do and how they align with those objectives. And then that, okay. that kind of cascades down throughout the organization to like the lowest levels. Gotcha. Um, okay. But this this year we kind of tacked on KPIs on top of it, so we're doing OKRs mm-hmm. and KPIs, and it's just, yeah, I don't want to talk about it because it upsets me. But it's um, I know it, like, I in in like it makes sense. I totally get it from a whole of business perspective. In that you know they have specific dollar amounts, you know, of loans that they want to settle and things like that, and it makes sense that. You would say, I'm going to close this many deals or, you know, I'm going to close this value in deals every month or whatever. And you can actually track that quite easily. Sure. For us as a technology team, it's much more difficult to kind of set those metrics because a lot of what we're doing is to facilitate and like move the business towards that. So we don't get to say like, we're going to do this specific thing, which like helps channel this many uh, settlements in a month right it's just what does the business want us to work on and so you know we have to think about it a little bit more creatively in in terms of are we going to do like bugs per release or you know releases per whatever mm. or sure you know how much are we committing like we commit to deliver x percent of agreed scope in a in a window of time and things like looking at things that we can actually measure yeah. in some meaningful way because all of the other stuff in any tech team product team that i've worked in it's it's very difficult to come up with anything that kind of fits those objectives that is you know things that we can do that we can be then measured on um you know from my perspective it's just wake up every day um is the stuff that i'm working on today pushing us to like is it the right thing to work on okay keep working on it you know is it pushing us towards our goals kind of thing it's not really it's hard because like developer productivity is almost it can be very subjective right 
Um, like you said, it's very difficult to come up with an objective measure for that. But like you can sort of at the end of a day, you can go be like, okay, this person worked this many hours. Let's go look at the code they wrote. And you can kind of just smell test it and be like, does that make mm -hmm. sense? Like, is that a sufficient amount of code to have written in that period of time? And yeah. again, it's it's still even at that point, it's still subjective because you don't know the thought process of the trade-offs of the right. bugs they had to that they yeah. hit along the way in writing that code, or if they've already refactored it, it used to be twice that size and they refactored yeah. it down to really yep. nice, neat, really whatever. Um, so it's that's hard. That's hard to do. And so um, I was actually listening to this talk. Uh, I think it was Erin Meyer was her name, and she was talking about the culture at Netflix. I'm not going to do a great job on it, but I won't, I won't try and distill the whole thing. Um, but she said like one of the things they do when they are when they were evaluating team members, they really wanted to have a really high talent density, right? Meaning mm -hmm. they wanted to have only like all stars on their team. Um, and so they said once a half, once every, you know, six months or whatever, they would do this. Um, can't remember what they called it. Like, but they would basically do this thought exercise where a leader of a team would say, like, go through each person on the team and say, like, I've got this guy Fritz and he's a really decent guy. He's a nice person. He comes, you know, he's consistent. He shows up on time, but he's just not there. Like he can't hit, met you know, he doesn't, he can't hit those, those KPIs, right? Those, he can't hit those metrics. Like he just never really quite makes it. He's just the slowest person on the team. You know what I mean? He's that guy. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, going through the thought exercise of being like, if Fritz came to me and said today, hey, you know, I've got a situation. I'm not going to be able to work here anymore. Would you be relieved or would you do everything you could do to keep that person? And if you would be relieved that they're not there anymore, that's probably an indication that you should not have them on the team, which is a harsh reality. But it's like, if yeah. you've done everything you can do to coach them up and help them get there and they're just not there, it's like, it's probably okay to let that not, let them not, not be there anymore. Um, and uh, they say like, you know, they said, what did they say? Um, if you want to be able to predict the success of a team, you don't look at its highest performing members, you look at its lowest performing members because they're going to drag the team down. Like success is contagious, but so yeah. is losing, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah. Um, it's just that exercise, but really you have to, from your leadership team, you have to have a lot of trust in order to be able to make those types of decisions without being able to yeah. point to a KPI and say, see right here, this is why I'm not, I'm letting this person go. It's like I said, it's just so subjective. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but it is, it is tough to write KPIs for developers. I have the same exact mm -hmm. problem. Our KPIs yeah. end up being things like you need to be present in the team's channels in the Slack channels and, you know, be available to respond to questions within, you know what I mean? Whatever you need to yeah. participate in channel discussions. You yeah. need to have thoughtful questions uh, for if you have a problem with the pull request that you can't figure out, right? You need to have mm -hmm. tried things, you know, whatever that sort of yeah. stuff. But those, yeah. those are just like behavior things. Those aren't yeah, necessarily hard to like measure as well. That, right. Right. They are the nice thing is though they are things that you can say, listen, this is what we agreed to and you're not doing this. So yeah. that's something we need to work on. That's that's mm -hmm. one that's one advantage, I suppose. If you've all agreed on these are the things we're gonna try and do and you're not doing that as a team member, then let's try and do better at that. I guess that's the only advantage you have. Yeah. Yeah, so, there's, anyway. there's certainly ways of doing it. But yeah, going back to like four hours of my time or two hours of my time is different to a more uh -huh. inexperienced person's Four hours and two hours. Like I can yeah. do a lot more in four hours than an experienced person can do. Yeah. 
and yeah. that's i mean that's just the nature of experience like how how do we do that am i expected to do four times as much because of that like you know you can't you can't just take okay this is the baseline and you're you know 2x the baseline so we're expecting twice the output it's like well no because a lot of my time is spent reviewing code reading code mm -hmm. thinking mm -hmm. about code like all of that kind of stuff that is not tangible it's like okay i spent two hours thinking about this and 15 minutes writing it okay? yeah to right. make sure that like that 15 minutes spent writing it testing it means that we don't have to look at this again in six months because we've thought yeah. about how it should function and things like that, which a less experienced person won't necessarily do. They'll just write the code to make the thing do the thing that they need it to do in the moment and then ship it and done. So, yeah, yeah it's a, it's an interesting thing that, you know, I think broadly speaking, my team is in alignment on it. It's just how do we... You know, there's an expectation that there's buy-in. It's like, it's not that we don't buy-in. It's just that it's impractical. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I hear I hear all that you're saying. All that stuff makes sense and there's similar pain points for me. So I wish I had better solutions uh, for you to offer. Yeah. But we're still, I mean, we've done that. We did that a while ago and we're still in the same boat. It's sort of like, you know, I, I, the only thing we've been able to do is kind of point to them and say like, those are the, those are the, agreements we've made and let's try and do that but mm -hmm. but you know you can't like number of lines written that's a bunch of garbage you can't do that yeah you yeah can't do that so anyway well cool. dude that's all i've got for for today uh if you've got anything else you want to talk about welcome to do so otherwise i think we can wrap this one up let's do it okay this was episode 149 i think is what we called it 149 mm -hmm. show notes of this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 149. Hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorendo, or at North South Audio. Um, and of course, if you like the show, please rate it up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars would be amazing. Until next time, folks, we'll see ya. See you.